Red Dice Diaries podcast, a rambling journey through the wonderful world of RPGs by a longtime GM and player. The music at the start of this podcast is Shinigami by Tarek, used under Creative Commons license. Okay, and welcome to this live and uncut podcast recording. I have Dennis, Johannes, Andre, and Matthew here, and we're going to talk about production values in RPGs, and more specifically, how much production is too much. So, does anyone want to kick us off? Anyone got strong opinions about this subject in particular? Who wants to just jump in and like grab it and be like, um. I have I have pretty strong opinions, but uh, um, they they fluctuate from being for and against it. Um, and what I mean by it is um, I don't like um, companies that publish books um, in excess just for the sake of sustaining their company and not developing their product lines so that they're of any interest to those who are participating in buying their products. And that is one thing that I have found with a lot of, a lot of the, the larger publishers as an entry-level participant in a game. It's, it's almost overwhelming to, to, to take on a new game. And I see this with players like um, we have some new players in our V5 game, for example. Yeah, uh, that have not touched any vampire books and reading V five while it is a task in itself to read V five, um, getting past that task, there is an there's an, an unlimited amount of resources that a new player would just not know about unless they're counseled and brought and nurtured into that culture of gaming and say, okay, well, now that you've read V5, let's go in the past and read 438 source books so that you can actually understand what's going on. So I, I understand that well, World, World of Darkness is a bit different in a sense where the actual source books are very interesting. Uh, so they're, they're not committing the crime that I'm like really angry against, but I think um, certain franchises um, that like Pathfinder, they just overdo it. And it just drives me bananas. Yeah, I mean, I think when sort of like larger companies get to a certain stage with an established game line, when let's face it, realistically, we know that they've they've sort of covered everything that really needs to be covered. That they've pretty much got one or sort of two options, as far as I've seen it. They can either bring out a new edition, and D and D is pretty fucking famous for this. You know, you probably you squeeze everything you can out of that, like D twenty, and then you bring out a new edition, or you you just keep pumping out supplements that that unfortunately steadily get like less and less in value. And I know um, Dennis, Johannes, and myself, we've talked about the the much maligned like World of Darkness combat supplement. Oh yeah, which <laughs> that good shit. Which, as far as I'm concerned, like, never needed to happen. That there was never like any. I was never sat around like one day after playing that vampire. Going, well, wouldn't it be amazing if there was like a whole book chock full of like nothing but combat maneuvers and like stats for like different weapons? I mean, that that's not a book I'd want for like any other supplement, let alone like White Wolf's or World of Darkness, which always prided itself on being like a storytelling system. But I think once they got to that sort of point. Everything that they needed to be covered had been pretty much covered. So again, you're faced with this choice of do you bring out a new edition or do you just keep like churning out them books? Uh, it's a good thing they stop before they start publishing book like, books like that. Huh? I mean, we certainly needed a Sakubu's Club too. That was the most needed book. That's the combat book. So to, to be honest, I've not even got any memory of like the Sakubu's. Club One book, never mind, like the Succubus Club Two book. Club One was kind of like, maybe because this was my first experience with it, so I kind of like, oh, this is neat, this is like a 90s edgy, and it's it's in a warehouse with this club, and there's vampires and weird shit. See, cool. I just like read it, and I was like, oh, Succubus Club, and I was like, aren't they supposed to like a masquerade? Because could you like make any more obvious a vampire <laughs> club? Yeah. 
I, I mean, you, you may as well have just like had like vampires sort of like, with their fangs out, like shaking the groove thing on top of the roof, and, and it, it wouldn't have been any more obvious. I mean, there used to be kind of like, um, I guess a saying or whatever you call it, where they would make the most money, a company, a publishing company would make the most money when they put out a new edition, because that would sell, and then they would start producing all the source books and all the materials again, and it would taper off. So I guess to to stay alive, they kind of need to. But and I also, do feel like for uh, sorry to interrupt you, but like that that's one thing. Like to keep like the lights on, obviously. But uh, there's also like they like back in the day, at least uh, not so much anymore. Uh, like these these companies, like White Wolf, uh, they had agreements, contracts. Basically, this is how I understood it. Anyway, I don't, I, <laughs> I don't have insider information from White Wolf, but this is how uh, I understood that they operated. So, uh, they had contracts with like distributors, so bookstores, basically, and to fulfill those, they had to keep to a certain schedule, like product, like produce new stuff. On one side, I feel like it's it's just excess to to keep a company going and and to make sure jobs are sustained and all that stuff and and while that's a positive thing, um, the other side of me says you know um, really why you know because all you need to do is just provide a book with core rules and and everything else is basically up to the imagination of the players. But um, I, I just I think uh, w another thing that I um, uh, don't like is the distribution of materials and many books that can be done in one book. Yeah. yeah oh, that drives me bananas. Um, I'll give a good example. Fantasy Flight Games uh, character archetypes in, in Star Wars. Like, you get one character archetype in, you know, one splat book, and then you have to wait seven months or six months to get another it's just it's just horrible and uh, I hope that that trend doesn't continue in, in the industry because it's 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 wasteful of my money am I muted again okay sorry no. it's wasteful of my money and um, it's just it's it's a uh, it's it's a money suck and it's, it's kind of like not cool to do that to your consumers you know what I mean yeah, I mean <clears throat> I played Shadowrun since the first edition Mm -hmm. I feel for I, you. I, I, I'm I, sorry. Yeah. Oh, dude, dude, if, if, I, if I could reach out and physically hug you now, I would do. <laughs> I, 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 I thought you were going to say, like, oh, I've been playing like um, Shadowrun for like about five years and I'm still genning that first character. Yeah, it's like you go to the used bookstore and you find all 3.5 books and like one of them is clothing and linens. You're like, are you fucking serious, dude? It's, this is too much. Stop. And, and I get that. The, the, the excess is felt when um, there's also no restrictions. But I. I there, there is a point, and the one thing that it's kind of like a, a catch-22 because the liberty that people had to produce with D20 really was revolutionary to the industry, you know what I mean? Open gaming license, all that. That, that was amazing. But then, you know, the, on the opposite end of that, you just have, you know, countless productions that are just unworthy of your time, and how do you sift through all that data? Well, and, yeah. Um, yeah. That's just, the, like back when... Uh, I, p I played a little uh, 5e. I was looking at uh, what is it called DM's Guild, and I kind of like stopped because I couldn't, I couldn't get an overview of what what was good and what was not good, and that's just too much produced for my taste, at least. I mean, I've got to admit that is one of the things I, I do like about this sort of like the official like release schedule for D&D Fifth Edition. It seems, certainly from my point of view, that they're more sort of like drip feeding stuff slowly in, and they're, they're sort of doing like more sort of like campaigns and adventures and stuff like that, which seems quite cool. But it's not just like here's like a massive load of like books released in quick succession, like it was with like three point five, which yeah, yeah it's, it's all right at the start, but you burn through all the good ideas within about like three weeks, and then where do you go? Yeah, you start with the player's handbook number three, and you're like, well, <laughs> I guess. But uh, I believe the, um, I don't remember if it was Mike Morales or who from the current like D&D &D team, but like this was one of the things that they recognized that they 
wanted to do like right off the bat like they they wanted to start fifth uh, edition off like with a heavy hand on the moderation toggle for releases so that they wouldn't like swamp their own product basically like just like focus on uh, I, f I forget his exact words, but it tied into oh. like class design as well because they they changed that because one of the driving forces for yeah. 3.5 was the classes prestige classes core classes whatever classes you mm -hmm. can get that was one of the like big things that sold, sold books. So. Uh, another thing that he had said on that note when he was actually I saw that video, mm. and what he had said was um, when they introduce books, the material that's within it has to feel playable and applicable to everything that you're doing and it has to open up and feel like when you open up a book and you read one of their source books like uh, Zanathar's Guide to Everything you have to read that book and want to play what's in there if you don't get the feeling that you want to play it then the book is a failure and that's the way they wrote them they wrote them in a way where everything provides and motivates playability that's new and scalable and fun and easy to reach and uh, so that I, I, I love I, I will say it first, and I love the way D&D is distributing books. I love the way they're pacing it, and I love the fact that they're releasing more adventures that have content that can be easily portable to other games and other adventures. It's, it's like getting source material and an adventure together in one book, so you're getting the best of both worlds. See, my, so I like that. I, I, I do like that as well. My only slight concern is that it's going to go a bit sort of like the FFG Star Wars way, where after a certain point, are they going to start like repeating stuff? Because I certainly found, I know they have like three separate game lines, like your Edge of the Empire, Age of Rebellion, and Force and Destiny for FFG Star Wars. But there was, there was a lot of stuff that felt like it was repeated between various supplements, whether it be aliens or types of ship or antagonists or whatever. One thing you consider is like if, if there is a sort of a demand for these kind of books, can you really blame the publishers for putting these for cutting out? Because if there's a demand for, say, that you're, you know, you don't know anything about martial combat, for example, and then they produce this book all about, you know, fight, fighting styles, you know, much. I mean, I, th I think that's a very valid point. I mean, is it something of like a, a self-fulfilling prophecy? Because as, as we've been saying. You've you've got people who sort of like want to have like a completist urge to like have like the complete collection of books. Many times we like we've discussed like D and D for example, and we've talked about all campaign settings that aren't currently in fifth edition. And people are like we really want that to be brought in fifth edition. We want them to port it, you know, bring it to the, bring it to a modern audience. So I mean, if if that's what people want, is is can you blame them for putting this content out there? Well, it's not needed, but it's what people want to buy. Well, it feels like a lot of question. books were made for the players because the players um, seems to be the ones who has the craving for new new classes, new spells, new feats, new mechanics. Okay. Oh. From my perspective, the readability of buying a book like um, Storm King's Thunder. Actually, see, there's two things that are happening, many things that are happening, but one of the two things that are happening here is they're releasing out adventures, and while they're releasing out adventures, they're updating video games, and they have these campaigns being published in videos through Critical Role or whatever. So they have, they have a marketing scheme where they can actually produce adventures that introduce new rules they, they have a multifaceted approach on how they develop these tool sets, but the, 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 driving, the driving force behind D&D, fifth, is story. It's not content. For me as a reader and as a consumer, as a player, and as a DM, that's a more interesting way to read a book. The story allows me to unfold and rethink the ideas that they present to me so I become much more I'm a much more of a creative person it's an interesting point I'm just to break in there we've got a, a person in the chat room on twitch who's watching this who said on the flip side though there are blatant flaws in the game they're talking about fifth edition that could be addressed with new content which they're not doing and they're saying at the end of the day Cobalt press is getting 250k to make a monster manual too 
and the most talked about features from the new books that aren't campaigns in the community are always the new mechanics and the character options so th thank you for that comment and again I, th I think you are absolutely right you make a good point uh, as we're saying here I mean it's difficult to separate out at what point it's the the company putting out a book because they know it will sell or if it's being motivated more by people who will just buy whatever is put out because they want it as part of their collection. I mean, one thing that we could all agree on is that it's working for them. I mean, yeah. I mean as, as compared to 4th edition, 5th edition is, even 3rd edition, 5th edition is just an amazing success. Yeah, I mean, I mean um, the, the thing is, at the end of the day, and I don't say this to be disparaging of the, the companies that are producing role-playing books, but they are companies. Companies, like we said earlier, they, they've got to keep the lights on, they've got to pay the staff, they've got to pay for whatever premises, whatever computer equipment and hardware they're using. All of that has got to be paid for, and that revenue is raised by whatever game lines they're putting out. So if you've got like a, a sort of... If you're a company that's mainly only doing like a single sort of flagship line, and you've not really got like a diverse portfolio of products, then you need to keep that line you either need to diversify or you need to keep that line going in order to like put money in the bank effectively yeah and i i think like because like you said companies need, need to make money it's it's the reason that many of them exist i mean if i was playing dnd i would prefer to have it uh, like andrew described you you are playing dnd dennis you're playing my game so it's our game that's not dnd let me let me keep my illusions. <laughs> I, I would prefer to have like they do with uh, with five E, uh, as Andrew describes. I would like to have um, the campaigns and stuff because I can use that as a as a GM. Like if you take Pathfinder, I know they. I was looking at the the online reference, and there's so many options. It's so unapproachable as a game. Pathfinder. I mean, for me personally, I know guys. You know, I talk to to girls and guys, and they're like, "Hey, you know, uh, all you got to do is read the core book, and from there, you know, just pick the direction you want to go." But even getting through the core book, I'm like, "Oh my god, this is so boring. It is just so much content and so many options." But that I think is really just my preference for for low crunch settings. Yeah. Um, and I will push the OSR button now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, say that I, say that I prefer the open uh, role playing uh, style of gaming, and the, probably the most crunch that I've ever played. Um, any game has been Vampire, I would think. The style in which they are writing these books is, for me, the future of RPGs. It really seems that way. Present a story, provide the world, give a little piece of the campaign world, give some character options. Give a bunch of stuff, give new items, new spells, but at the same time, while you're doing that, tell a story so that it's interesting while you're reading the book. Because I don't want to read a manual like Dennis said. It's just yeah. boring. Yeah, I, I mean, I think for me, I, I don't have a problem with slightly like higher crunch sort of game, just to use a, a term. I, I think my issue is where the amount of crunch in the game doesn't really feel justified. Certainly in 5th edition I've never found there's so many choices that like you have to spend ages like toting up your bonuses and working out what's cumulative and what's not. I think it's the repetition factor that you mentioned before. You know, when, when, you, when you read D&D 3.5 and you've read 1,500 feats and maybe 20 or 30 of them are the same but just different wording, you know what I mean? And, uh, and, and it feels like back when uh, I was playing Magic the Gathering, right? You had the core book, the core uh, deck, and you went out and, oh, there's a new uh, there's a new deck series out, and you bought those, and you're kind of like, oh, this is kind of like this other card I have, but cheaper or better. Yeah, well, I was, I was just going to talk about uh, the, because um, Andre mentioned that the 5th uh, edition stuff is a, like, story driven in in the design aspect of it. So you you have these not really stories, like Xanathar's Guide to Everything isn't like a campaign book, but it, it has an overarching thing that it's about. And um, 
uh, I, I thought that because we, we mentioned that they are writing quite a lot of like adventures and uh, I will have to say that Tomb of Annihilation is some of the best shit <laughs> put into print for D&D &D, uh, because it is an adventure but it's also like you, you could just like forget about that particular adventure and now you have a fairly good primer for Chalt. You don't need a source book. You've got it all there, and it's yeah. in the adventures. Like everything is fucking there, and it's just—it's amazing. I agree a hundred percent. Like books. Well, our um, our commenter, who's going by the handle of "Go Get Me Tacos," very nice. Get them tacos. Says, does fifth edition really give you enough storytelling tools, though, or does it just rely on the experience of older generations who don't need the resources as much as new players? How do you do D and D fifth edition without homebrewing? almost every aspect of the game. Now, I don't think you really need to homebrew an awful lot. I think you could do a lot with the, just the the course of a player's handbook, DMG, and the Monster Manual. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you know, I'm not a fan of like the OSR, so I'm a big fan of the whole lot like, rollings over rules style deal. Yeah. So I, I really think you can get a lot of miles with that, but I do think it's it's kind of like you have to. You have to play a lot of games to know, to know, what to tinker with and what to leave alone. Um, it's well, kind of. I'll give you an example uh, of not relying on old school players to, and and house ruling. Uh, basically, just with the player's handbook, the monster manual, and the and DMG, uh, my daughter's middle school D and D club. Um, they basically they're, they're they're strictly staying to the rules as best as possible. They're trying to learn the rules very well. That's like the goal of the group, and um, so they're not really house ruling anything. The only thing that they're using improvisationally or, or developing improvisational wise is the story. They, they haven't played any role playing game before, right? Yeah, no, no role playing games yeah. at all. They, they're just going into it open open mind. Yeah. And they they're reading the book. And they're saying, okay, we're just going to take it a step at a time. It's very yeah. academic. They're just going about, we're going to take these rules and test them out, but this is what our session is going to have as a test bed for these rules. And they're going to do that every Wednesday for the entire school year throughout middle school. You know, I think as well, to to go to another point the, that the commenters made, where he's saying that um, he, he doesn't think the Monster Manual and the DMG don't do enough. Like He gives the example of there's not a good way to design traps in 5th edition uh, well my thing about that is that I agree that what you're saying is it, it, it doesn't hurt if you've got like a bit of like old school experience to like be able to like come up with these things on the fly but you only get that experience by like just trying things out and seeing what works and what doesn't work yeah. and it's like yeah. let's face it if you make if you make like a trap and you're like oh I'm going to make a I'm gonna make a, a pit trap, and you're like, oh, I can't remember exactly how much like damage like falling fucking fifty feet does. Or I'm gonna say it does like two d twelve hit points damage or whatever. Oh, I would say fifty d eight. Yeah, yeah, that's because you're hardcore, Dennis. <laughs> De Dennis would be like, oh, there's like an ochre jelly at the bottom, and uh, a, huge, a huge pile of GURP supplements like slides in afterwards and buries you alive. And you kind of need to start at that that level. You need to you need to learn the tricks and the, the ins and out. I mean, what one lesson I learned um, that helped me a lot was stop caring with the uh, game balance and just. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I, can, I can see the commenter's points. I suppose what, what he, I think what he's trying to say, and obviously feel free to correct me, commenter, if I'm wrong, that initially, in order to like build up this experience, you need sort of some basis for comparison. Yeah. yeah, and like it's it's the same when you encounter any, like I I'm I'm gonna say system, but I don't specifically mean like gaming systems, but any pattern that you encounter for the first time, and if you don't have anything you can reference in, in that moment, you, you're probably gonna go, huh? So I think that that's just a hurdle, really. Like there there's no way around that except it's just like hit that head on and be like, what the shit, and then just sit on it and read it and try to figure it, figure it out because it's new, right? It's a new shape and you don't have the, the receptacle in your mind for that necessarily. Yeah, I mean, but on the opposite end of the spectrum, John, are there games that have too few books? Have you ever encountered a game like that? Because that's... Nope. Yes, right? <laughs> right? 
isn't that the case? There's no, there's no game that has too few books, but there's always games that have too many. Well, that's well why I think, it's I think as the as the commenters were saying, you, you can of course, obviously, house rule absolutely anything you want. So if there's too little stuff, you can always expand on it yourself. Whereas I think not everyone. I think some people, if there's if there's a lot of stuff out there, some people do feel like there's an onus to sort of use everything that's out there, you know, rather than sort of. Yeah, that's particularly true for uh, World of Darkness, right? Because you you had these people back in the day who had read the like seven hundred books that they came out with, including Combat One and Combat Two. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> there and, it is. <laughs> and like they would know. Every like they had memorized every single setting detail that had been alluded to in like book number six hundred and seventy-five, and then you're you're running your game, and they would go, mm, "No, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't go Actu work like that." The, the yeah. word "actually," actually, oh. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. If, if someone's like, I've memorized like every rule in existence for like D and D for the edition or whatever. I know off by heart. I can. You can just be like, "Oh, what's the, uh, what's the damage on like a, a twenty foot fall on a Tuesday, September the thirteenth, when the wind's blowing from the southeast at five mile an hour?" And you can just be like, "Boom, two d six minus one or whatever." Fair, fair play to you. But for fuck's sake, don't expect me to have memorized that bullshit because because I won't have done. I mean, back when we were playing. Uh... Vampire the Masquerade Revised Edition. Back, um, back in the 90s! Yes, <laughs> in my day! Uh, I had a player and he had memorized all the disciplines. So instead of fighting that, I would just, when I had something, instead of looking it up, I'll just ask him. So I'll just employ his eidetic memory for memorizing disciplines. And I really hated looking up in those books because. It was so difficult to look. I think like, there's a um, correlation, actually, to some of the um, uh, sort of popular and also, like, personally to me, appealing OSR products compared to like what we were just discussing. Yeah, <laughs> John, John's having a moment there. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, like with the, with the D and D, like Tomb of Annihilation. Okay, we outlined the good stuff in that, and I think there's a whole bunch of it in there, which is very similar to some of the OSR products. And I'm basically talking about OSR setting slash adventure books, just like Tomb of Annihilation is. Like you have a thing you can do pre-built in, but also there's the thing that contains that specific adventure uh, which is also uh, usable to you I, I think I think to, to use carry on with the example of like Tomb of Annihilation as well I mean I, I, I'm probably I don't use a lot of like published adventures nothing wrong with them I, I just don't tend to use a lot of them but I was lucky enough to play some of the, the Tomb of Annihilation with Andre running it and as quick as you say it's like it provides a lot of like additional like flavor and a few extra mechanics specific to that sort of thing that jungle exploration of chill there were things during that where i was like oh that's a good idea right i might use that in a future game i might use that so even if i'm not even if i didn't buy the book and i've got like a pdf copy but even if i didn't buy the book myself or and i never planned to like run the tomb of annihilation there was still stuff in it that I think would add value to a fifth edition game if I was running them, or even if I was running a game where I potentially wasn't using those rules, the the way they've sort of constructed them might give me something to think about if I was running a a different game. Yeah, I think that that uh, takes us back to you know uh, what. When when is too much too much, right? And we've talked about different development of books and splat books and their uses, but ultimately in the end, if they're motivating creativity, then they're a good splat book. Well, I mean, I think that's one of the things I, I, I like about the, the the recent sort of V5 release. I mean, I, I'm not saying by any means it's a perfect game. I, I don't think any game's like 100% perfect. It's it's definitely not. Let's just put that out there. However, one thing you can say about it is it's very obvious from reading it that the people who are writing it 
are sort of in love with that whole idea of Vampire the Masquerade, and it's something they feel passionate about. I think uh, one of the major defi defining factors of that book and books like it are when you talk about writers that enjoy writing for the game that they love so much, um, the one thing that is evocative that comes out in their writing is the ethos of the book. You know what I mean? Like it's so the the ethos of V5 is so strong. You know you're playing a different game than V20. That's, that's a success to me. It's an interesting point as well. Um, we're talking about that potentially there's there's two different roads a a company can take once they reach that point where like they've wrung all the the ideas they can out of a a game line when they have to either sort of like just keep pumping out stuff for the sake of it or making a new edition. So let's say that the, the this fictional company they've reached the point where they're like right we need to bring out a new edition we can't do it. I think it's a difficult time for any company because as we say these companies have to like keep money coming in that that's how they keep running and making products but i think quite often you'll see companies where they're releasing a new edition where they they want to make it new and they want to like bring like revitalize the game line but there's only so far they can move away from what they've done previously because obviously they've got to sort of keep their like their core demographic their sort of mm -hmm. Their fan base. So you could, you, for instance, so V5. There's a lot of stuff that's different in it, but White Wolf. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's similar in it. Like you know, it still uses D10 dice pools. I think it's a, it's it's certainly more appealing to me than this new edition has its own distinguished flavor than the previous edition because then I would be interested in it. Um, there's always going to people that be people that hate. A new edition. I mean, it just always happens. We see the the revision wars and D and D going back forty years. You know, so it's like at the, at some point in time, a company just needs to say, you know, we got We got We got to make a new game. I mean, one of the things I, I do like about it as well is, as well as the the sort of core conflict in the game, which, as you say, cause it's it's all it's always supposed to have been like a game of personal horror and I really do feel they've tried to like take it back to that. There's also like a sort of second layer of like conflict sort of like interwoven with that which is the fact that you're, you're embraced, you're turned into a vampire or whatever fairly recently and not only have you got like oh well I'm losing my links to my humanity I've got to feed on blood, I can no longer go out of the day, I can't eat etc you've also got that whole conflict of when you like wake up and you're like oh all the cool sects have disappeared, and all that's left are these scuzzy Anarchs. <laughs> Where's well, my Talmaheira? The true, I, the I, true I, hand. I had a moment when I was watching the World of Darkest, uh, World of Darkness documentary, when um, Mark Ranhagen looked at the camera and he says, "Now you could be the bad guy," and I think that that's really what old classic World of Darkness was. And V Five is more about now you can feel fucked. Do you guys think that there's any sort of other options? Like, if you if you were running a company and you got a massively successful role-playing game line, and you got to the point where like the fans were like, "Oh, we don't we don't really need like combat book version five, or oh, no more combat maneuvers," uh, and you, assault rifles. exactly, and you were sort of in charge of the company, that like creative direction of that company. Do you think there are any other options beyond? Um, releasing a new edition or just continuing to like pump out a steady steadily decreasing quality of books well I, I think quite a lot depends on the company itself like what what their thing is basically are they a one game company because if you are then th th those two are probably what you're going to go for uh but like thinking of the new uh swedish white wolf that we have going on now like they have everything is like laid out for them like they're gonna make a new edition of werewolf uh i'm thinking they have to make a mage as well and uh, like they they basically have this like catalog of stuff that they can now just riff off of and each one of those releases will probably pick up quite a lot of uh eyes and uh <laughs> cash as well uh i would think so they have this sort of like uh, option 2.5, which is we're going to do what we did to Wii 5 to these other game lines that you guys love and we're going to have like our own selection of sh shit to do. Um, 
I wonder if there's room there for new, like brand new lines, though, uh, which is something I would really be interested in. Like after these guys knock out, let's say the core three, so vampire, werewolf, mage, I would like to see these guys go, and then this. I, or, I think uh, I think the um, the sorry to put it, I think the potential issue with that though is like. Traditionally speaking, each White Wolf game has been sort of like, right, this game line focuses on Monster X, whether it be vampires, werewolves, wraiths, whatever. And I think, really, there's only so many sort of monsters mm -hmm. that you can cover. I mean, we saw that a bit with, like, the New World of Darkness, where they're putting out sort of different books, and you started getting into, like, Beast the Primordial, which, you know, I think is a horrendous book. But... It, it, it is. It, it, it's it's like it's like someone read like you know like the stereotypical like, angsty introduction to like a, an old world of darkness book, and then went, oh, let's let's turn that up to eleven. And it's all sort of like you are playing the darkness that lurks inside mankind's souls. It has been there since the dawn of time, but now it is embodied in you and steps out onto the street. It certainly sounds like wonderful. <laughs> well, that, well, that's it. It it, 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 it almost it, it went so far. To my mind, it went so far over the top. It almost became like a parody of a World of Darkness game. Can I go back to an earlier point about production? Yeah, of course. What you mean? You mean the central point of this video? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had a thing that Andre said, and it's sort of something that I've come across myself. It's to do with actual story elements. So, like, when a book's like, here's our, here's our, here's our de facto campaign setting, and it is literally like a novel long. Because I had a discussion with one of my groups, and they really wanted me to ruin Marvel, for example. And I've always said I'm not the right person to ruin Marvel because I am not immersed in that universe to the degree where I can ruin it with the knowledge. You know, I feel obligated to give them the best game I can. So I'd feel like I need to know that universe through and through, which is just, a, you know, it's far more of a task than actually running the game. <laughs> so my point is, is it overproduction when they just dump this really intricate meta plot or campaign story narrative, whatever you want to call it, or is it more important just to give the give the GM or player story hooks to jump off of? Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, it's two different ways of approaching the game. I mean, obviously, the benefits of if you've got like a, a sort of strong meta plot as a company, you can always advance that meta plot and sort of use it to bring changes into your game world, and you can sort of extend the shelf life, for want of a better term, of a game line by doing that. So we saw that in the old world of Darkness when they brought in like the time of Thin Blood originally. Part of the old world Darkness was that there were so many, at least where I live, that bought all the all the books just to read them. They never played the game. They, they just liked the the Mitzvah Blood story. So they wanted all the all the all the sources to that they could get their hands on. Um, I never I never got that much into that, so I mean, it's cool, I guess, but I was more focused on whatever city I had decided we were playing in, or maybe, <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I think that's that's one of the sort of like the, the core sort of paradoxes, if you will, uh, at the heart of RPGs, as we've said before. It's like technically, if you want to just like run a role playing game, you don't even need to like buy a core book. If you just wanted to be like, right, let's make some shit up and just like crack on. You could you could do that, but it's handy to have at least some sort of structure. But you... so, what would you say then in terms of production? Like, when is when is a player or a GM getting their value for money? Like, what at what point do you think? Yeah, I've got you know, I've got this book's done me some good. Like, so you know, if you use it once, is that enough? Or is it like if you've used it a couple of times, or if you actually copied parts of it and used it in multiple different systems? I think for me personally, it's if I get a book and I, I read it and I think, right, that book's only going to be of use for this particular game. I, I don't get a lot of use out of it. Because, like, uh, if, if say, I go, um, oh, I don't know what I've got. Like, if I go, if, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll go Kindred of the East for an example. If I go, like, right, I've got my Kindred of the East books, so I've got, like, about ten books for the Kindred of the East lines, dealing with, like, the Quage in the sort of Eastern Kindred. I'm unlikely to use the stuff out of that in any other game, unless I'm running a Kindred of the East game. And with the best one in the world, 
I'm maybe going to run a few of them during my life because I've got other games I want to be running. Whereas if I've got a book where I'm like, uh, I mean, I think that's why I like things like D and D are so popular because one people run a lot of D and D, but also because there's like broad cross compatibility with like the OSR games, D and D, D and D three point five stuff like that. You can always look at those. I mean, it's why I've kept a lot of my old D20 books, even though I don't plan to run D20, because I can look at the stuff in those books and very easily take inspiration from them for use in other games that I will run. So I'm getting more bang for my book, effectively. So it's... I mean, that kind of sums up a lot for me, because once I'm not inspired by a book, I... I mean, if, if a source book is so bad that I, I can't get inspired by it, I can't modular, I can't uh, modulate or use anything modular wise out of the book. I don't get new rules. I don't get, it's just like, it's just a source book of statistics, tables, and maps. When that happens, I just like, okay, I'm, I'm done. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a valid point, but um, to, to go back to the example of like the, the, the Tomb of Annihilation, like the sort of Chult book we were talking about earlier, I think that's interesting partly because it is like a, a sort of primer on like jungle exploration and stuff like that. But how, again, as we're saying with like with White Wolf and we're saying how many different types of monster are there in terms of like different types of terrain and like cities and stuff like that, how many of them are there that it's possible to do before you're like, oh, we're, we're doing like jungle exploration book two or whatever. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think uh, I think primers work well, and I think that's an OSR kind of culture. We've got an interesting comment from the Taco Man in the comment box, where he's saying, "Do do, do us guys own any third-party content for Fifth Edition?" I don't know about you guys. Have any of you guys got any third-party content for Fifth Edition? Actually, Matthew nodding away. Yeah, um, yeah I have a player. Sorry. Um, I have a player who, like the, dis the discipline guy from Fifth, from uh, Vampire, he's memorized the entire monster manual um, of the original um, Fifth Edition, which became a little bit of a problem sometimes because you know you want to create um, a surprise, and you know every time I describe a monster, you'd be like, oh, it's this with this stats and this, and it kind of like for the people who don't know what it is, it kind of takes away. So I picked up, um, I think it's Cobalt Press, the Tome of Beasts. And I've never told him where I've got the book from, and I just occasionally drop them in there, and you know, great book. Uh, just a spike. Yeah, for me, it's Toma Beast too. I like Toma Beast so much that I bought the hardcover, and <laughs> I got the module inside of Roll Twenty. Legends. Yeah, I mean, I, I've got a lot of the um, the Raging Swan Press stuff because I I support them on Patreon, and they do a lot of sort of. Um, I suppose sort of like drag and drop content where they'll be like, oh, here's a book where it's like a, a, a little PDF or whatever, and it's like a town or a city with its own specific like problems and NPCs that you can just like drop into a game. Uh, I, I, can I just say, um, does buying stuff on Roll Twenty count? <laughs> I, 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 I think I think in your case it does. Yeah, I'm completely addicted to buying everything on Roll Twenty. Uh, for me, uh, the third-party stuff that I have, because uh, from 5e, like the official stuff, I have the player's handbook because I was in a 5e game, and uh, the Tomb of Annihilation because I heard so much good about it, and, and that's it. Uh, and uh, I, I went and I went to the DMs Guild actually, uh, and I bought a bunch of uh, like Tomb of Annihilation add-on stuff, like just just more stuff to put on the map because there's a lot of space there, right? Yeah, those are, they... oh, those are awesome. I love them. Yeah, so I, I, I snatched like 10 of those. <laughs> I was like, yeah, give me some of this shit. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I, mean... Like, I did that with Storm King's Thunder. I got like all the excess mods, like going deeper into the maps and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Awesome stuff. That was one thing that I... I think that's probably the, the, the most fun, like, and most important purchases I've made in the DMs Guild is, you know, all of this extra stuff that players say, yeah, you bought Storm King's Thunder, but look at this, and then they just give you all these, you know, extra things. I love this. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I don't mind it at all. I mean, I think that um, 
for example, when you buy Tomb of Annihilation and you want to know more about Chult, you can just buy, you can just review the, the second edition book and, and do that. But, there, you know, a lot of the creativity that these guys bring to the table in the DMs Guild and a lot of the detail that they bring to the table goes beyond even that second edition book and just gives you some neat options. So, I mean, I don't think that that's a bad thing. And I, I, I you know, I, I support it. It's cool. Yeah, the, uh, the inherent thing, like, if we're looking for some negatives to this like fan fest, uh, obviously when you have an open platform, well, uh, open to an extent, obviously, but like as open a platform as the DMs Guild is, uh, Drive Through RPG, and um, yeah, because White Wolf did the same thing, right? Because you have the Storytellers World, so now you have um, the exact same model for. Uh, White Wolf games. You, there, there's going to be a couple of things that happen. Uh, there's going to be a lot of stuff on there, and a lot of it is just going to not be worth your time. I, I was going to say, you, you know very well your drive-through page just takes you like, straight to like products published by Kevin Crawford. Yeah, it, uh, it does, but that's uh, that's like I paid for that. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, my drive-through just like edits everything except Kevin Crawford's <laughs> sin nominee uh, publishing products. Uh, well, we've had an interesting um, point raised by one of the commenters in the chat box on Twitch where they're, they're making a comment about uh, how good or not the DMs Guild is for the actual creators who mm -hmm. publish stuff on there. Now, I've got to confess, I don't actually know much about the, the DMs Guild policy towards uh, people who create stuff and sort of publish it online. I don't know if any of you guys have any thoughts or like, input on that. I've never published anything there myself, so I don't know what hoops they have to jump through or anything like that. Yeah, don't don't know about the split, right? Because that's usually <laughs> where these discussions go. Like, how how much do you get? Yeah. And I absolutely have no idea. That dollar. Yeah, them dollar bills, y'all. So unfortunately, we can't really say much to that. Well, it's better than going to Random House and having your. You know, having to get a, a, a an agent and speak to an editor and see if your book is actually going to make it into a publication house. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure. not a publisher, uh, but I don't. I'm, that's not for me to decide. But I think that ultimately, it's it's working for the for those who put the time in and develop their own marketing campaign and really put the effort into. I will say this: I don't buy stuff on drive through that does not have a solid preview. So if you're a publisher out there and you're on DMs Guild, or if you're anything, and you don't show me a nice preview, I'm not buying your shit, because you're a lazy fuck. Yeah, I mean, we, again, we've got a comment who says that uh, unless, it says it, it, the, the DMs Guild isn't particularly good in terms of the split, but unless your goal is to work for, like, Wizards of the Coast at the end of the day, it's pretty challenging to, like, make it work for you. I presume when he says make it work for you means in terms of like make a profit or a a living off it. Uh, but e even going back to uh, the golden age or whatever you want to it, it was not everyone who could make a living out of uh, writing for uh, a role-playing game. Yeah. They made, you know what I mean? This is not, this is, this is a hobby that at some point in time you can make money with some money but you know, you're not getting fringe benefits from it. You know, you're not getting dental, medical, and all this. This, this people have to sustain their livelihoods yeah, in, you know, in a real way. And then this, if they get some money out of doing this, they're fine. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the same for any sort of like people who are like self-employed, effectively. Like you say, you unless you have like the, the safety net of like a a day job, effectively, you have to like work like doubly, triply as hard. To, to make a go of it doing what you love or what, what you're good at effectively it was funny because when I was reading V5 one of the, the features of what you could do as a vampire at night what would your livelihood be that would consume all of your time at night one of the last bullets was game developer yeah. <laughs> and I just when I read that I just chuckled because I know the guys who wrote that book all they're doing is busting their ass and, you know, the, uh, it's all due credit to people who actually are in the industry full time. 
because I'm going to tell you what, they're the unsung heroes in credits. One page of credits in front of the book is not enough for the amount of work that goes into publishing one core rule book or even just one source book. Uh, publishing a role-playing book or writing for role-playing games. So it has to come from a, from the heart, as Anna said. Well, well, the fact you is... Have, you have to struggle. Well, the fact is, when it... Role-playing games, love them or hate them, they're, they're a luxury item. Yeah. It's like, you don't, much as we all love RPGs, you do not need RPGs to like survive. You need, like... You need to be able to, like, look after your family feed them, clothe them, have a roof over your head. Those are like your essentials. And I think as sort of like people are finding like money maybe a bit tighter, people can afford fewer luxuries, people are being more selective and they're less willing to like spill out like massive amounts of of money on books. I mean, even like myself, where like, like you guys were saying, like oh, at the start of this one, was all about getting a new book. You guys are like, oh, how many like new books do you get? Even like myself, compared to like the days when I used to like rack up these shelves and like buy like, pretty much every book that was released from like white wolf and whatever even even my sort of like amount of books i buy now has like decreased rapidly because there's like more important stuff it is a strange piece because like if you if you just invest in the core book right and let's say that's what 40 to 50 dollars um and of course you have to put in the work yourself but you can get a lot of you can get a lot of hours out of that one-time investment. And then you have people like you and me who uh, tend to uh, buy books and put them on shelves and collect them for some reason. Don't know what you mean, Dennis. Don't know what you mean. Oh, oh, all right, all right. Stra strapping everyone. I'm about to go to OSR for a minute. Right, see, and I've said this before, that, that is one of the reasons why I've gone... Not the only reason, but it's one of the reasons why I've gone more towards like, the OSR stuff over the last year or two it's because a lot of the pdfs of these games are pay what you want or they're freely available now for myself because of like my epilepsy and my vision i struggle to read like a pdf for like a long period of time on a screen now so that's that means that if i end up wanting to run a game i'm probably gonna have to buy a hard copy of it just so i can have it there to like read but with because many of the osr games offer the pdfs as like pay what you want it means i can go online and just be like all right okay doesn't matter if i've not got much money to spare this month boom there's like 15 like free pdfs i can then read through them like find maybe like two or three that, that i really like and i can then go right i can now make an informed purchasing decision based on what i've read rather than just having to like look at like the front cover or the previews on drive through and go um i think that book looks good i'll buy that so, so that that's another one of the reasons I, I go for the OSR stuff because it allows me to make more of an informed choice about what I'm going to buy. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that goes for pretty much everybody who plays OSRs. You know, if it's free, it's for me. I agree. And and like the longer you spend in this sort of hobby. <sighs> Like, unless you are a collector, you have the collector mentality. Like, I, I think there definitely comes a point where you, you just sort of feel at least a little bit content uh, with with what's on your shelf. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think we do see that a lot in the sort of online communities where, and again, I use D&D as an example just because so many people who play it, where you get someone saying, like, so we saw this last, I think, when, D&D 5th edition was just being bought out when you got a lot of people who were like I've still got my 3.5 I can still run that why do I need 5th edition? Then you've got other people going well I've still got 2nd edition AD&D so I don't need 3.5 and then you've got I'm still playing BX brown box from 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 back from back in 10 giggity 6 and that still plays as well as ever so, so why do I need this? Yeah, 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 because you know what happens is that I, all I have to do is gently nudge John with a new book that he says he doesn't need. I just, like, poke the bear. Well, it's, beca it's because John has the two-point flaw. <laughs> I'm not buying B5. One, one month later, he's on Facebook. B5. <laughs> I, 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 will point, I will point out in my defense, I didn't buy that. Oh, Oh, yeah, somebody bought it for you. Uh, Johannes? Oh, yeah. see, yeah. dude, you're nice. 
he's only bought it because then he's going to be like, oh, it'd be, be a shame if you got that nice V5 book, John, and you like didn't run a campaign right. with it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, the, if if you start buying role-playing books today, John, we could still be playing for the next ten years at That's least. Right. It's not. It's not going to happen, Dennis. Don't panic. <laughs> yeah, actually. Yeah, I, I, I think um, one of the I've seen John go through this before though, like with the Star Wars books, when when the Star Wars books came out, you know, why am I buying this core book? It's the same core book as the other core book, but only a few different rules. Buys all three core books, starts buying all the rest of the source books. I, was like, uh, 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 I will point out. I will point out in my defense. I have got the three core books. You're absolutely right. However, uh, I only actually have four of the other books. Oh, oh four. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I bought um. I bought one of the books from like each of the lines, and then I bought um, I bought like the Mask of the Pirate Queen adventure, and that was because I, I wanted to like rag a load of stuff from it for the game we were running at the time, Johannes. Yeah. I went a different way. I got one of the core books and just got all of the source books. Yeah. You, you can do. Just give me a moment. I can see we've been joined by um, Colin in the, the Twitch chat who runs the Spike Pit OSR podcast, which I'm a big fan of. I, I correspond with him quite regularly, so. Nice to see you, Colin. If you've got any comments, feel free to drop them in the chat and we'll try and answer them as we're sort of rambling on about production and stuff like that. So, my thing is, what do you guys think? If you haven't heard, apparently Wizards of the Coast, in collaboration, I believe, with the career of Eberron, are doing this digital um, Eberron campaign. Um, but what I found out, which was not only until recently, is the actual production of it is staged. Like, so they've released it, but it's going to be expanded and added to over time. They're going to, I believe they're going to refine it and possibly add more information, more, more. I think it's a little bit more than that, because I feel like it seems from what I was reading that they're collating um, feedback about what's already there from the people who are interested in it, and then expanding it from there. Yeah, I think uh, they, they release Wayfinders of Eberron, and... Yeah, and then from there, they're just gonna uh, they're gonna take the feedback from uh, from the community and really dive. I think it's almost the same thing that they did with how they created Zanathars and and Mordenkainen's. Yeah, I mean, I'll certainly be interested to see what they do with that. Cause, man, I, I've got some of the the three point five Eberron stuff, and I was like quite a big fan of it. I like the whole sort of like pulp swat slash noir sort of style D and I thought it was like an interesting juxtaposition of things. <laughs> I had a really great time. Had to pause it because I was running too many games. And uh, I, I see, know, I see, you came up with a novel way of solving that by running a load of V five games. By running more games, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm horrible. So, so it's a novel. So it's a novel solution, man. This is a this is something that me and John go through all the time. Um, we go through these ups and downs. It's like I'm running too many games. I got to cancel. And then we're like, oh, we got to bring it back. But we're not going to bring those games back. We're starting a new game. <laughs> and then it just goes on and on and on. You just become inspired, my friend. Yeah, I mean, I, I've got to admit, I, I'm already sort of like going, oh, well, I'm running like my West Haven game on like, alternate Sundays. And I'm like, I could fit a second game in. I know it's so hard. It's it's just insane because you lie to yourself all the time. You're like. You, you stop the game that you played on Sunday and then you play late Saturday and then you feel great on Sunday and you're like, dude, I, I feel, if I'm going to feel this way every Sunday, I might as well run another game. And then you get, oh, it's just, it's a, it's a cycle of sickness, but it's so funny. Yeah. Uh, Josiah, can I just say, um, um, love the comments and the love for Lost Mine and Elver. That is an amazing I just, that's my jam. I love that. Um, sorry, just off topic. Yeah, this entire thing is off topic. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 you know what? No, seriously, John. What you need to do is we need to do this like twice a month, and don't put subject matter on the header. Just, just this is this is our time to have a roundtable and just bullshit. Well, well you see, what, what I like to do is I, I like to put uh, put a subject on there as like a starting point, but I'm under no illusions that by the time like right. 15 minutes have passed, that we're still going to be talking yeah. about that, that topic. Yeah, I've got like a subheader. I said that's just the start, and we're totally not going to talk about we that. Should, for we hours. should end the podcast deciding what the title will be, <laughs> <laughs> like retroactively. <laughs> I, I like the contrast between this and uh, the thing that we recorded, John, with with Lloyd, because Lloyd was like, 
I have the uh, presentation uh, prepared here, and uh, we will follow these bullet points, and then it oh, will did be done. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. It, 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 was, oh, it, so it, it, it was really cool. It was like me, Johannes, and Lloyd, and, and me and Johannes had like, been at work, and we sort of like, rolled in, and we were like, all right, we're going to talk about some like role-play shit and whatever. And Lloyd was like, yeah, I've got the subject written down. I've got like, some questions written down. Right, let's go. And I was like, over to you, man. Take, take it away. <laughs> See, that's, dude, that's why he's in the industry, though. And that's it, man. Yeah. That's why he's getting them modifious dollars. Yeah. Yeah, the Modifius pounds, I guess. Yeah, true. We've just had Jay chill in the, in the comment section. He's like, yeah, I was going to say Lloyd kept you on track. You're absolutely yeah, right, yeah. Jay, man. He did, yeah. yeah. Well, we won't do that. <laughs> but no, uh, in, in all seriousness, I mean, I am hoping to do more of these sort of like online sort of uncut versions on Twitch, sort of streaming them. And then all I do is I just rag the sound out of them afterwards edit it down and upload it to the podcast so people can listen to it there but yeah i'd quite happily do like one or two of these like a month just like rambling on about rpg stuff because let's face it, i mean even like when you're online you're doing a game like before the game and like after the game or when there's like an interlude we're all role players we all like talking about the hobby that's what we do so and if you do not support red dice diaries do that go to his blog <laughs> Are you selling stuff? Do you have T-shirts or hats? You don't have anything. Get some, sir. Or you see, see, my, see, my problem with like Teespring and things like that is that if if I go to like a, a T-shirt manufacturer's and they haven't got like at least an option for like five XL T-shirts, I'm not interested. It's like it, it makes me laugh no end when you see that people are like, oh, we're selling like game-based T-shirts and they're like, yeah. oh, they got they go up to like two XL. I'm like, have you ever met a have you ever met a role player? They sell up to six XL on Teespring. See, see, Johannes is laughing there because he's like a lithe, like, slip of a Finnish lad. But... <laughs> I don't know. I had a blast. That's all I got to say. This was awesome. I'd love to do it again. Uh, okay, so does anyone have anything? That, presumably everyone's about ready to sort of, like, start wrapping up now. So I think we've, like, talked around, mm -hmm. beyond, around the corner from the, the topic they were originally on. So does anyone else have anything they want to talk about? either related to the topic or any of the various of the spiel we've done like, before we close up. You do play D&D. &D. No, I don't. <laughs> no, no, Andrew, you're going to make him have a nervous breakdown. Just suck it up. You play D&D, &D, Dennis. <laughs> you play Dungeon World, D&D with the number filed off. I mean. Yeah, but that, I mean, as far as, you know, if, if we were to run it, I think this harkens back to the question, if you were to run a company, what would you do? Um, I would try and... There's, there's actually three things I would do. I'd try to make something synonymous with the way D&D Beyond works for the game that I produce. Two, I would create an app for phones that allows shared dice rolling rooms so you know you can roll dice and play the game mobile-wise and not be strung to your computer. Uh, and three, I would give away free PDFs and obviously deluxe print versions of the books. Oh, man. But yeah, no, I, I would like to do something like that. That would be pretty cool. Speaking of like utilizing PDFs in different ways, uh, I was really impressed with this um, Eclipse phase, first edition. Uh, they have a lot of like con games, so like designed for specifically to be run in like I think four hour time slots at conventions. So it just just goes to show you, it doesn't it's not what you roll, it's how you play. Get ahead in the game. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No, I, what, I, I would I would listen to an hour of Andrew just going through like. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think we've I think we've pretty much talked uh, around the subject there, guys. I think we'll sort of yeah. wrap up there. So th thanks very much to Dennis, Johannes, Andre, and Matthew for joining me. Thanks for everyone who was in the in the chat commenting and getting involved great to have people like inputting we're going to try and do these on a sort of like semi-regular basis depending on like, who we can get to obviously time schedules and whatever who we can get to actually be in these so thanks very much for joining me guys has anyone got any thoughts they want to close out on uh red dice diary swag is coming if, <laughs> if you have a roll 20 module that you would like andre to purchase you can find him at <laughs> 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 or, or, or just like lean out of your nearest window and go, roll 20. And he'll, and he'll hear you wherever he is. He'll hear you. Uh, no, but thank you for, uh, 
for hosting this, man. I had a great time, and I hope to do this again on a more regular basis. Well, well like I said, I mean, the, obviously, schedules depending. I, I would love to do, like, one of these like, every couple of weeks or whatever, um, just see how we go on that. But uh, I, I don't know if, that, if any of the rest of you guys would be up for something like that, potentially. Yeah. 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 Cool. All right. Well, well, we'll have a bit of a chat about it on Facebook and whatever. Obviously, I'm happy to. I'm happy to talk for a bit after we finish the stream. But to now, just say thanks to you guys. Thanks to everyone in the chat. And I'm going to stop the stream shortly. So, take care, guys. We'll see you soon. Bye bye. So that's it for this episode. If you have any questions or suggestions for things you'd like to see in the podcast in future, please either email them to reddicediaries at gmail.com or drop me a voicemail at Anchor. Until I see you next time, whenever you're playing, take care and enjoy yourself. Mm-hmm.